We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. First of all, it's super nice to meet you. I really appreciate you doing this. Obviously, you have been through a lot. Yes. A cancer diagnosis. So why don't we start off with you just telling me and, and the listeners out there about you and your family and kind of what brought you into uh, the childhood cancer world. So I am Michelle Gamble. I'm married to my husband, Bobby, for 28 years. We have two girls. They're currently 28 and 23. And um, we were just living the life, uh, um, American dream. Uh, Abby Shea was playing softball all the time um, in a travel ball team. And my oldest daughter was um, just tagging along with us. We played a lot of softball uh, in the summer of 2013. And um, Abby became kind of ill, but not nothing that you wouldn't um, Nothing that would be too terribly concerning. She would have headaches here or there, a bloody nose here or there, and that wasn't too um, it wasn't too concerning at the time because I grew up having bloody noses. Bobby, my husband, had bloody noses all the time and still does um, from sinus and allergy things, and so that's kind of where um, our story started. <laughs> so it was it was bloody noses that just you. You really weren't thinking twice about. And then, and you said you have a 28 and a 23 year old. And, and so Abby Shea is your youngest. Is that right? So she's she's a 23 year old and all of this happened in, in 2013. Is that right? Yeah. She was 15. She had just turned 15. And so we were playing softball on this travel team. And I, I don't know, we, she just started having these headaches. And so and they were getting more consistent. And then now it's time to play school ball because travel ball has ended and now we're into school ball. And they've asked her to play up as a freshman on the high school team. And so things are going really great for her. She keeps complaining about these headaches. And so we, I keep giving her Tylenol and they'll go away. And then the next day she'll have another headache. And so by this time, we're about five days into headaches. And so I'm thinking something definitely is wrong. And this is not common. So we go to um, we go to an ER in Ada, at the Carl Albert Indian Hospital. We uh, we were seen at this point. Um, it it was kind of a traumatic experience because <laughs> they told us that um, her after a series of, of tests um, and blood tests and multiple blood tests because he the doctor thought that her blood tests were getting mixed up with somebody else's. Um, that sent an alarm off. And so I, I promptly asked him what in the world is going on. And he said, well, I, I'm not sure, but her blood test is not coming back normal. And I think it's just a fluke thing. So I'm going to have another blood test taken and I probably need to do a um, lumbar puncture. And of course, all of this is foreign to me. So I'm asking him why and <laughs> what are we doing? And then the blood test comes back that her bone marrow is not making at this point. And so that sets off an alarm and then 
Um, of course, he gives her morphine to start that procedure for the lumbar puncture. Um, and then he just, he kind of stops in the middle of the lumbar puncture and um, he says, I'll be right back. And he comes back and he brings masks and he brings his nurse in and um, he asks us all to put masks on. And so my oldest daughter's with her. And so, so at the time they're 15 and 20. And um, of course I'm pedaling up because I'm not sure what's going on, but I think I have an idea of what, what could possibly be going on. And so I run outside and I grab him really quick and my husband's with him with me and we ask the doctor, you know, just point blank, what is going on and tell us, be upfront and honest with us. And he said, well, I'm not sure, but her bone marrow is not working. And so I said, well, to, you know, explain this to me because um, when you're being told all this, your mind just goes to a blitz and you're not even, you don't even realize what's happening or um how all of this, all of this functions together. And so, um, of course I knew what bone marrow was, but I didn't <laughs> at the time. I mean, it all just is a blur. And so he says, well, her, her red and white cells are not making her platelets aren't making. And so we're going to send her to children's promptly. I mean, as soon as we get an ambulance here, we're sending her off. And so my husband and my oldest daughter leave to go home, get clothes, um, you know, contacts, I mean, all the stuff that I need, contacts, um, chargers, soap, deodorant, <laughs> they leave, they go home, they take the, the vehicles that were driven over there, they go home and, um, and load all that up and they beat Abby and I to the hospital in the ambulance. And so, um, we meet them at Children's. And so, after a series of events at Children's, um, they think it's um, like an anemia, aplastic anemia is what, what she was diagnosed with. And, um, but then all of a sudden her bone marrow starts making while we're in the hospital that week. And so they do a bone marrow biopsy and, um, but that nobody ever does an LP. And so she starts getting better and better and better. And so they send us home and the, and the aplastic anemia kind of, um, they were like, well, since our bone marrow started making, we can't say that that's really what it is. So we think it's idiopathic thing that has happened with your child. Uh, but if she has problems, you need to bring her back. So that was in August of 2013. The end of November of 2013, she wakes up and her face is swollen and it looks like Bell's palsy. And so I don't take her to the doctor right away because I'm thinking... She's been under a lot of stress. This is Bell's palsy. And so I wait, I don't know, maybe a day or two, and I take her. And um, I take her to our urgent care here. And the urgent care says, I think you need to take her to the emergency room promptly. And so she's crying, and I'm, like, stressed out. And so we leave, and we go back to Ada. And they, they're like, oh, no, it's just... um. It's Bell's palsy, mom. You're right. It is Bell's palsy. And so they do these tests with her, not like blood tests or anything like that, but just um, sensory mode things. Yeah, it's, it's Bell's palsy. We're going to send her home. We're going to give her some, um, not antibiotics, but maybe, maybe like a steroid pack or something. I'm, I'm not even really sure. And they send her home and one of the girls at our church had Bell's palsy at the same time. And in a couple of weeks, her Bell's palsy like clears up, but Abby's never gets better. And so 
December, we roll through December, January, I take her to a um, softball camp in Stillwater. She is there with all of her travel ball buddies because they all were there. And one of the moms was like, why don't you smile, Abby? Why aren't you smiling? Well, it's because one side of her face was drooped and she couldn't. And I noticed that she wasn't really hustling at the camp. And I thought, wow, something's not right with her. So that was January. So that starts a series of events of going back and forth to the ER multiple times. And I can't even tell you how many times because it was so many that when they saw us come in, they would kind of chuckle like here comes the gambles because they think something's wrong with her daughter. So I take her to the ER probably twice. And then finally I said, you know what? I, I just need to make an appointment with her pediatrician. So I make an appointment with the pediatrician, go in to see the pediatrician. He says, well, he didn't give her, that's definitely Bell's palsy, but he didn't give her enough steroids or something. So I'm going to give her these steroids and let's see what happens here. Okay. So everything else checks out. He did, um, he did a blood test. Um, this is probably sometime the 1st of February. He did a blood test. He tested her for um, a lot of autoimmune disorders. She um, tested negative for all that. And then probably about a week later, she calls me from school, mom, something's wrong. My tongue is going numb. The other side of my face is drooping. And so I said, okay, so I ran and got her. We took her back to the ER. They think that they need to do an MRI on her, but um, they can't really do that right now. They'll, they'll have to make an appointment to do the MRI. And they do all these tests. Um, nothing's wrong with your daughter. Okay. Something definitely is wrong, but we know we are in that ER twice a week from then until it was March, I think it was March 16th of 2014. And I finally called the dentist because she'd been to the dentist prior to that. And, and prior to that, we had been called from the school several times to come pick up our child because she's fallen asleep in class. She looks terrible. You need to take her to the doctor. Well, we've been taking her to the doctor. We don't, we're not getting any clear answers from anybody. Um, I call her dentist because she'd been in for a cleaning and he, uh, he had seen her. And so she was like, mom, it feels like all of my wisdom teeth are coming in at the same time. So I call the dentist and at home and he said, Michelle, there's no way that that does not happen. So he says, what does she look like? I said, well, she looks like a chipmunk and she looks like maybe she has mumps. And he said, well, um, he said, there's a study that you, those are just like this thing that they taught us in school. So have her bite down on a pickle, a dill pickle. And if it burns, um, then she probably does have the mumps. Well, so we did that. Nothing, nothing. Um, and he said, Michelle, that's kind of concerning. I think you really need to go somewhere else to a different doctor. So Monday we get up, I go into work for a little bit and she calls me and she says, mom, please take me somewhere. I feel horrible. And so I just loaded her up in the car and we went to Children's um, in Oklahoma City. That is where we got our diagnosis of acute myeloid leukemia. And so there we are in the study hospital. And um, we get into the ER and we get checked in and her breathing becomes really rapid. And one of the nurses um, is watching her. And so she she runs out and she, she says, are you okay? And 
And I'm noticing now that her breathing is off and I'm thinking, why? I said, what happened? Like we were just sitting here and all of a sudden she, she's not able to breathe very much. And so, um, so I'm thinking it's anxiety. I'm thinking she's having an anxiety attack. So she, um, she says, I'm going to get you into a room really quick. So she comes and she takes us back for the, um, like the triage part. And she says, there's a room. So I'm going to just go ahead and put you in it. And so she puts us in the room, which I mean, it takes a long time because then the nurse comes in, puts the IV in and the doctors come in and then they have all of the studying doctors. And so they're all sitting around and they're just taking notes and I had this one um, intern that was really, really sweet. And he sat beside me and he took, he like made this, um, it was like a plan and he had it all mapped out. And everything that I told him, he was, he was just making a map out of it. And so he left and he came back and he said, I have a few more questions for you. And um, I said, okay. So he comes back and um, he says, they're going to take her for an x-ray and see if there's anything wrong with her lungs. And I said, you know what's wrong with her? What, what is wrong with my daughter? And he said, well, at this point, it's pointing at a lot of different things. Um, he said, I think I know, but I can't tell you right now. And I said, okay. So they bring her back. And um, we had the ER doctor in charge. And he comes in and he, and he tells me, Miss Gamble, I, I know what's wrong with your daughter. I know that you've been um, searching for an answer for months now and um, your child has leukemia. And at the moment that he told me, she's over there screaming, crying. And I just had like a stare down with him because I'm thinking we were just here <laughs> in 2013 and we asked, did she have leukemia? I said, there's no way. There's no way that she has leukemia. And he said, yes, ma'am, she does. And he said, we're going to admit her to a room. and." Um, you all aren't going home for a while. And so um, I, there I was with my daughter by myself, no husband, um, because he's like, you're, you're just going to get there. They're going to tell you there's nothing wrong with your child, like we've been told for months now. And so I call him to tell him, and um, he can't even speak to me. <clears throat> and I have this child screaming and crying that she just wants her dad. <laughs> and... <clears throat> So finally, um, he had to have somebody bring him because he couldn't even drive. Um, and I get her calmed down, and then we have to prepare and call all the family. And um, <clears throat> and then by that time, it's it's like ten o'clock at night because they're trying to get us into a room. And um, so they finally get us into a room, and of course, we don't know what type of leukemia it is, but. Um, all of the doctors will show up in the morning to tell us what's going on. And so um, one, so so we stay the night, we get in this little bitty room um, in the bone marrow transplant unit. And, and of course, everything is so frightening. It feels like the walls are just closing in on you. But we had one doctor um, that was rounding. And <clears throat> when you're put in the hospital, you, you have like, you know, the nurses come in and ask you what's wrong and what has happened and what do you know? And then the, the doctor that rounds at night, he comes in and it's the same questions and, um, and it gets monotonous, but at the same point, they don't know. They don't, I mean, they're not looking at a computer. They're just doing um, what they know to do. And so they, he comes in and he says, um, 
Mrs. Gamble, I'm sorry to hear about your circumstances. He said, I want you to know that we're here for you. And, um, and I said, yes, I know. And, um, he said, if you need anything at all, um, just let me know. And I said, I will. And he said, there's one thing I want to tell you. And he said, I never try to push my, um, religious views off on anybody. And I said, I, okay. <laughs> and he said, but I want you to know that none of this works without God. Like all the doctors, all the medicine, nothing works without God. And I said, I know that. And so to me, that was like, okay, God was telling me, okay, I have you, I have, I have this and I have you in the palm of my hands and just rest. <clears throat> because the days, the days that were coming ahead were really, really tough. Um, and so that's, that started the beginning. And so the next morning we met with our doctor and, um, and one of the other doctors that was on our team the last time, um, she came through. And so that, that gives you like a little bit of comfort, um, because you, you know, that, you know, that she's fighting for you. So then, you know, the nurses that we had previous, they, they start showing up and that gives you even more comfort. And so Abby started with, so they did, they did a series of tests and they came in and met with the family and they told us that, um, Abby had acute myeloid leukemia and that her, um, white blood cell count was at 110,000. That meant that all of the poisonous cancer cells, um, when they started chemo, that those 110,000 were going to like explode and they would let out all the bad stuff and, and it would just be like millions of cells exploding in her body. And so after the first treatment, it killed like 30,000 cells. And so, um, so we're like, good, we're, we're attacking this. This is going to be good. She's, she's doing great. And then she took a tumble and, and when I say that, I don't mean literally fail, but she, um, her body quickly um, couldn't keep up with what was going on. And so her kidneys um, shut down. And so we found ourselves in the ICU for six and a half weeks. And every day that the doctor would come in, he would say, Michelle, you, you realize that, you know, she could do good today, but you know, in an hour or two hours or tomorrow, it could be worse than it is right now. And I always thought, golly, that's, that's a lot to say, but I quickly learned what he was talking about because we, um, in those six and a half weeks. And I mean, I, when she first got up there, I was like, she's only going to be here for a couple of days. And I told all the nurses and doctors that they probably thought I was really crazy because, um, one of the nurses, I, I, um, sat her down with me and I said, I want to know what in the world is going on with my child? And she said, Michelle, and she starts crying. And I'm thinking, why are you crying? I'm the one that should be crying. And she said, um, your daughter's really, really sick. And she said, I realized that the oncologists need to be positive and they need to give you positive feedback, but she's really sick. I still didn't comprehend how sick my child was. She started having um, heart problems. Um, her kidneys her kidneys did not work for months. Um, they had her on dialysis for months. She was allergic to one of the chemos. And so um, she burned 
terribly bad. And that, so they did a test on her to see um, what really was going on because they brought in the dermatologist and the dermatologist said, you can't give her something is making her sick and something is um, making her body burn. And so we need to do some tests. And so they did some tests and um, one was inconclusive, but one they felt for sure that it was Steven Johnson syndrome, um, which would burn from the inside out of her body because of this particular chemo. Um, she blistered up. She, her body descended uh, multiple times. She filled with fluid. Um, and so we felt like her liver might be shutting down, but it, um, after a series of multiple um, tests and sonograms, um, it showed that her liver was functioning fine, but we couldn't, couldn't really figure out why she was filling up with fluid. And so they put in drain tubes to filter the fluid, her lungs filled with fluids, her eyes, um, they had to call in, um, ophthalmologist because her eyes, um, were, um, because she had swelled so much, um, and there's so much trauma to her body, there was like bleeding in her eyes. And so they had to call in the ophthalmologist. And um, so today she, um, she still has like a little black fleck in her eye that she can see part of your face, but not all of it, but it is getting better and better and better. It was touch and go in the ICU. I remember um, one day and I, I just, Every day was a good day for me because I could see, I could focus on something new and positive. Um, and when you have a child with cancer, you you live minute by minute. You don't think about the next day because you just have to get through the next minute. One day it was kind of early on and they they had extubated her. It was one of the times that they had extubated her and she, um, she was doing really good, but her breathing started getting off a little bit again. And so um, she started having this bloody nose and so I at first it was you you could just you know you could put a napkin or something up by it and it would stop but then it it got pretty aggressive and so I was visiting with the nurse and she's like well you just need to pinch it off and so I was pinching it off and um then of course she can't breathe because I'm pinching her nose and so um I didn't feel like I didn't, I, as a mom, didn't feel like the nurse was doing enough to help me. And so I left the room and went and got um, the respiratory therapist that I've become friends with. And I said, I need your help. <laughs> um, because I knew that she, she had, she had been on a BiPAP. And so I knew she needed that breathing device. And so I ran and got her and she came in and she said, well, Michelle, if we can't get her, her to quit bleeding, we might have to intubate her again. And I said, oh, we're going to, it's going to quit. It's going to quit. It's going to quit. We finally got it to quit and we put the BiPAP back on. And I had stepped out of the room because um, some friends of her had showed up. And so um, I was very protective of her when she was in the ICU and I didn't hardly let anybody in to see her. Um, and so I stepped out to visit with them and my phone started ringing and it had all these double zeros on it. And I thought, that is the hospital. And so I jump up and of course I, I couldn't get any um, reception where I was sitting. And so I jump up and I call them back and um, it was one of the PAs and she said, Michelle, we've had to, um, we've had 
to do an emergency intubation on Abby. And I just wanted to let you know, and where are you in the hospital? And I said, well, I'm really outside the room. And she said, well, you might want to come in. And so when I went in there, um, it was completely shocking because um, I noticed that there was blood everywhere. And I thought, how in the world did we lose so much blood? And was it like a fountain of blood spewing everywhere? Because the nurses and doctors had it on their coats. It was on the floor. It was in her bed. And, um, of course, they're all shook up. And, and some of them are really um, tearing up and crying. And, and I'm thinking, what just happened to my child? And so they said, Michelle, um, we had to do an emergency intubation. Um, she was bleeding profusely. We're hoping that she didn't get any blood in her lungs. So we're going to do some x-rays. So they bring the x-ray machine in and they do all these. And, and thankfully there was no blood in her lungs. She, um, she would have like um, rapid heart rates and they, they would have to pack her in ice at night because her fevers would get so high. And, and during all of this, they didn't stop any of the chemo. They just kept pushing it through because obviously we needed it. Um, and then probably um, after the first chemo treatment and it started killing out the cancer cells, um, and we went through every doctor in the PICU unit. They all have a week rotation. and We went through them all and ended up with the first doctor that we ended, we started with. But during, I guess her, it was her fifth week, uh, we had the head of the pediatric ICU doctor in there. And um, he wanted to do a um, tracheotomy and I refused. And so we kind of had some words. It wasn't ugly. We just had some words. And um, he said, well, you, you leave and think about it. He said, but um, I think this is what needs to happen because if she were an adult, she would already have a tracheotomy um, because being on the um, ventilator this long could cause pneumonia and we don't want that. And so I left and I thought about it and I was stood on my ground and I was not going to let him do that to her. At this point, she was having continuous um, dialysis because her kidneys were not working at all. They, they just weren't working. Um, there were two times during that period that, that they feel like she might have urinated, um, but there was no hard proof that for sure fact that she did. And so, um, so she's on the dialysis. Um, he's wanting to do that um, tracheotomy. And so I'm just so flustered and so upset. And so during this whole time, I always had a friend or a family member that sat with me during the day. And so <clears throat> I left and I, I told my friend what was going on. I said, I just got to go for a walk right now. And so she told me to go for a walk. And I, I came back and the doctor came back in to visit with me. And um, he said, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do that tracheotomy just yet. He said, I felt, I thought that she was, had all these cancer cells everywhere. And he said, I didn't look far enough into her chart. And um, it seems like things are looking up for her. And I said, okay. Um, so basically they had the cancer, the, the leukemia under control. And, um, but he, so the next day he told me that her lungs were filling up with fluid and that he needed to you know, put a tube in her lungs. And so I 
conceded with that. And then the next day he called me and he said, I really want her to, um, she started filling with fluid again. And he said, I really want her to um, go to surgery and I want her to have this um, catheter put in that we could do. Um, it would serve two purposes. It would serve to drain the fluid and then it would serve to do um, dialysis, um, a particular type of dialysis. I think it's that parentensis. I can't even remember what it's called. But anyway, it turned out that that was a good idea. Um, and so they, they sent her to surgery um, and they started draining. And, and once they started draining the fluid, it was, it was a good thing because about two days of draining that fluid, she was back to her normal size um, and it worked. And then things just started getting better for her um, as far as in the ICU. Then the next week she was extubated and then um, she just was always so, uh, every time I would look at her, she would just be smiling. And so I always thought, gosh, how strong you are. You're just so strong and so vibrant. And um, I feel like a lot of kids with cancer are that way. They're just, they're just so happy. And I mean, not that every minute of every day is happy for them, but they always make you feel good. And so <clears throat> we, um, so we finally got to move her to the 10th floor and um, what a happy day that was because things were so much, um, it was just so much easier on the 10th floor. It wasn't constant worrying about what is going on. Um, we didn't have 55 you know, tubes going in her, or we didn't have to worry about all the medication that was going in her and how one might counteract with the other. And um, it just was so much easier. Um, it was so much laid back, you know, more laid back. And um, that's when we started decorating her room like, like her room might be at home because we knew we were in for the long haul. And so we knew that we would have to be in the hospital for four to six months. Um, most patients um, that have AML get to go home a couple of times, uh, maybe three times during in between treatments. But Abby was so sick, we, we never left the hospital. We stayed the whole entire time. That was, I think, the first part of May. And by the end of May, we were back in the ICU because at that point on Mother's Day, it was Mother's Day, um, we just kept praying and praying and praying, Lord, please let our kidneys do something. And so on Mother's Day, that was probably the best Mother's Day present ever. She um, she peed for the first time. And, and all the nurses and doctors were like, you will never get sick of hearing the word pee because it is just the glorious, it's glorious. And so on Mother's Day um, in 2014, she started um, her kidneys started waking up. And so um, that was even a process in itself because she was laying in bed and she kept saying that her back hurt and her back hurt. And we had one of the sweetest nurses. And I, I think all of our, all of our nurses were really sweet. We had the most spectacular experience. If you can have a spectacular experience at Children's Hospital, we, we had it. Um, they treated us like family and they were like our extended family. And so we had a really sweet nurse and and she said, well, let me just do like a bladder scan. And she did. And Abby's bladder was full. And of course, because her kidneys hadn't done anything in so long and she had been on dialysis. And by this point, um, when we got to the 10th floor, they had moved her to um, 
adult dialysis where they might do it like every two days or something like that. And so um, she said, well, I think that your bladder's full and she scanned it sure enough. And so um, she told Abby, she said, you know, you're going to have to go to the bathroom. And Abby said, I can't. And so then that stressed her out thinking, I can't go to the bathroom. I'm a bladder's full. What am I going to do? And so they said, well, we can cath you if, you know, if we need to. And she said, no, let's just let me try. And so the nurse did this fun little trick where she got warm washcloths and she put them on her belly. And of course that woke up her kidneys and the process to urinate. And so um, that was one of our happy happy moments there. Her kidneys are really bad. At one point, um, her creatinine was like a, I think a 7.5 or something like that, which means her kidneys were doing nothing. And so her nephrologist at one point told me to get very familiar with the dialysis unit and how dialysis works, that Abby would be going home on dialysis. And so, um, I was the mom who, from the very beginning, said, if you have anything to talk about, if we need to talk about anything, we can talk about it, but don't speak anything negative over my child. When he said that, I just, I could feel myself getting really red in the face. And so um, I said, doctor, can I see you outside? And he said, sure. And I said, I don't want you to say that anymore in front of her and I don't want you to speak it in front of her anymore. And I said, I um, I serve a mighty God and I know what he's capable of and I'm praying for a miracle here. And so I need you to stand in agreement with me. And he said, well, Miss Campbell, I sure hope that you're right. He said, I've seen miracles before, but I sure hope that you're right. And so I said, well, let's just see. Um, and that conversation actually happened right before Abby started. Her kidneys woke up. And so when they did wake up, he came and visited me and he said, Michelle, I can't believe that this just happened because he said, I've never seen this happen before. Not to this extent. And so I said, well, put it in your book and tell everybody about it because it's <laughs> this is it. This is a miracle for sure. So we tarry on. And so then we start bringing in. Um, physical therapy we start trying to introduce foods because she's been living on TPN and the food thing didn't really it didn't really go all that well I mean I'm not even sure how she lived or survived other than she just lived off of the TPN she would eat a little bit here and there but because her stomach really hadn't had anything in my you know weeks um, at least two months it was really hard to digest and keep it down and so she could keep a little bit of maybe like toast or um, some biscuits, maybe a little bit of bacon every once in a while and some protein drinks, a little bit of protein drinks, but not really a lot of anything. Um, and then, so the physical therapy and occupational therapy come in and we realize quickly that she can't even really stand all that long. Um, when I would shower her, you know, I would, she could make it to the shower and sit down and but she was really tiny she was a 140 pound pure muscle softball player that went to 90 pounds um really quickly and so she just looked like um a bag of bones basically and so 
so we realized that 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 was not working out very well so they they would come more periodically and um but standing for periods of time would get her and so they would um give her things to do like um draw on her mirror or stand and brush her teeth um it would hurt to stand her feet would hurt and so so her dad and I quickly learned that we probably need to be walking her a lot in the halls. And so we started walking her a lot um, and she didn't always like it because it was painful, but she did it to appease us. And so um, time carries on and um, we've made some lasting friendships in the hospital and um, with our nurses and our doctors and they've been so sweet and they've been very accommodating to us all. Um, and, you know, we even met, um, her big thing was wanting to meet Patty Gasso and, and the Oklahoma softball team. And so that happened while she was in the hospital and that was pretty legit. And then she met, um, Sherry Cole and some of the basketball team players. And that was, that was pretty cool too. And then she really didn't come out of the room a whole lot. I remember we finally got her to come out of the room on the 4th of July because I had thought, oh my goodness. I, we've been in the hospital this whole time, um, Easter, Mother's Day, uh, Father's Day, and we really haven't celebrated a lot. And so I'm not letting this 4th of July go without doing a celebration at the end of this hall. And so I got with one of the other mothers and I said, I'm gonna, my daughter's coming up, my oldest daughter's coming up, and we're going to go grill some chicken, some stuffed grilled chicken barbecued chicken on the grill and I'm gonna make a chocolate cake I want y'all to join us and they were like oh well we'll make hot dogs and we'll bring up a fruit platter and her mom had brought up like these um cake pops that were the fourth of July and we decorated down there and we had like little glow rings and I mean it was a fourth of July party on the the 10th floor and um it was just the most amazing thing because I was just so happy that we could all celebrate. And um, even some of the other cancer kids came and celebrated because we wanted everybody to have something, you know. And we sat at the end of the hall that, that night and we watched the fireworks, which was the last of Abby's um, chemo treatments. And she had just began the first one, um, the first part of that one that day. So we didn't get to stay up very long because she started getting sick. But we had the best time and I don't even know if she ate any of that, but it didn't matter. <laughs> I think she might've had some watermelon and some strawberries, but we had the best time and it was really like, okay, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And we're going to come out of this. And then um, the next week, some of the kids in the bone marrow unit were going home. And so they're having a big party over there. Some of the nurses were. And so we went over there and of course, all of the kids in the hospital at that time, um, with Abby were way younger than her. They were, you know, they were little, like two to 10. So they were little, but she had a good time with them. And we had it, we played with them for a little bit. And then she wanted to go back to her room. So we wheeled her back to her room. And I remember the first day that um, she wanted to go outside and they said, well, you have to wear like this duck mask, which is the N95 mask that we all have come to know. <laughs> <laughs> and become friends with and so my friend and I um we took her outside and um we wheeled her down to the sixth floor and we took her out um in the little play area and it was kind of rather hot that day but it didn't matter it was just the part of going outside and seeing 
the outside for the first time in months and letting the sun beat down on you. And of course we didn't stay out there for probably 10 minutes because she's like, mom, I can't even breathe. <laughs> this mask has got me all, um, I can't breathe. I need to go inside. So we went inside and then we just sat at the window and we looked outside for a long time and we went back up to the 10th floor. And then of course that was getting close to the time that we were going to be released. Only we weren't going to get to go home. We found out pretty quickly that we weren't going to get to go home. We had to go to Bethany children's hospital in Bethany to learn how to walk and eat and take care of ourselves again. And so, um, after four and a half months, whatever, of um, Children's Hospital, we went to Bethany. And what we thought was just going to be two or three weeks um, turned into eight weeks of hospital stay there. And it was so different. Um, of course, you know, their primary people that they get are very, they've been in traumatic um, wrecks or I mean they have very few cancer patients but they do have cancer patients that have had a really hard time in the hospital and so they're very sweet to us although they ushered us to children's hospital more than once because Abby might not be feeling well or um, I mean it seemed like very um, simple things that I think I could have talked them through but they wanted to make sure that she was okay, given the fact of everything that she had gone through. And I, and I do appreciate that. But sometimes I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're going back over to the hospital. <laughs> uh, one was for a blood transfusion, which I thought we could have done there. And one was because um, her stomach had started descending a little bit. And, um, and all that was, was that the nephrologist needed to come over and change up some medication and Anyway, so we spent time there and she made some good friends. And the, the good thing about that place was that um, the doctor that was there, she was like, Abby, I think that we probably need to get you out a little bit more. And so we did recreational therapy, which was awesome. And then she would let me take her out like for lunch or dinner, although Abby didn't really eat all that much, but she would let me take her because she felt like it was important that Abby get out you know, out of the four walls that she was in. She did really well and she um, she would do her occupational therapy and her physical th therapy probably like three times a day. Um, and we got her in to eating and walking and um, she had a little bit of struggle with eating. And so they finally dropped an NG tube down her nose and we came home. When we came home, um, we had like a big... Um, we had a big parade for Abby <laughs> uh, because she had been gone for so long. And so we had a big parade in our hometown and um, we brought her home and the, all of that was super exciting. And we came home with the NG tube, which was a little um, nerve wracking. Um, and it did come out a couple of different times and we did have to go to the ER for that. And so um, we started rocking on and life became as normal as it could be. Um, which is never normal again, but um, as normal as it can be. And we, uh, she started getting into softball again and it was really hard for her. I mean, we, we did physical therapy at home like three times a week 
and it was really hard for her because her, uh, her body wasn't really the same. Like she was really flat footed and, um, things just weren't, didn't seem like they were progressing enough for the mom and me. Um, and so I remember the first time that she, uh, we were in, we were in summer ball that next year. Um, and she was on the field and she was practicing. Um, so like almost a whole year has gone by and, and, and prior to that, she didn't even really go to school, but half, half time, I mean, half a day, because it was really hard to get back into the swing and be, have enough stamina. And this little body was still really little. And, um, so then she goes back to school. Um, that, that person that she was, um, was a little different, um, in a lot of different aspects. And so, um, she realized pretty quickly that, um, the friends that she really thought she had were really, some of them came around and some of them didn't. And that popular girl that she was, was no longer popular. Nobody really had much to do with her. Um, I don't think that they really knew how to approach her. She looked different. She didn't have hair. Um, she was really tiny. Um, but she was still really essentially the same Abby. She thought different because of all the things that she had been through and she was a little more adult-like in her thinking. Um, but she loved softball and that was probably the one thing um, that kept her going. And so, so she went back to softball. And so I remember the first time she was always pigeon-toed. She's always been pigeon-toed. And I remember the first time that I saw that little foot pointing and I thought, we're almost back to normal. Like life is almost back to normal. She's put on a little bit of weight. She looks good. She feels good. It was a Saturday and one of her really good little friends from Children's Hospital had relapsed and they had the same diagnosis and it was in July and we went to see him and one of our, um, one of our friends from Winniewood, her little boy um, had been diagnosed and so we went to see them. It was a July day and it was hot and we went to see them. And we visited with them and just made sure that everybody was doing all right. And my friend, um, that's from Winnie Wood, she was like, Abby, how are you doing? She said, I'm doing really good and life is good. And she, and she said, are you feeling okay? And she goes, yeah, but my face has kind of been a little tight lately. And I, I didn't think anything of it. I thought, why would she say that? It's been tight. So that summer she was, she was doing a little summer job for one of our other friends at a cafe a town just south of us. And so one day she went, she was like rolling silverware and she fell asleep. And so she came home and she told me that she had fallen asleep at work. And I thought that's weird. And then the next day she goes and she did not feel good at all. And she called me and she was crying. And I said, well, you know, we have to do a blood test first. So we'll let's do a blood test. I sent her on to do a blood test, told her to, um, go get my, I mean, just, just go ahead and take my car and go home because they had driven her from work to, to my work so that she could do this blood test. And so me, I'm always, always miss positive. And I was like, it's probably nothing. It's probably that you're just, you, maybe you need a B12 shot. You're probably fine. And so she's like, mama, I don't think that you're right. And I said, well, don't say that. Just go home and rest and we'll find out in a little bit. So I remember 
so I'm a hairstylist. So I had gotten all of this blonde up on this girl. I had foiled her hoe head and I got the phone call from the doctor and I'd just gotten her foiled. And, um, the doctor said, Michelle, um, Abby has relapsed. And so I've already called children's and they have a room waiting on her. Um, all the doctors, um, that are rounding will be waiting. Um, you just need to go ahead. You need to pack your things and you need to head up. And so I remember thinking, what in the world? How did this happen? Like, we just conquered this. This was the worst experience of our life. Um, yet there were so many blessings through it all, but it, it really was terrible and it was traumatic. And how in the world can we go through this again? Like, I don't, I don't want to do this, Lord. I'm not going to do this. And I remember um, calling my husband because he had um, taken another vehicle and they were going to go pick up his truck in Norman. It was at, um, it was at the Toyota place. And so he, he was having her and in the vehicle with him and they're going to go get this vehicle. And he's lecturing her because she's really tired. She doesn't feel good. He knows that she'd had to go get a blood test. He's like, you, you just got to take better care of yourself and you can't be going, you know, 90 to nothing and da, da, da. And, um, then I call him. And I said, Bobby, um, where are you at? And he said, we're in Norman. We're almost at Toyota. And I said, well, you just need to keep going north. And you need to end up at Children's Hospital. Click. <laughs> the phone just went dead. And I thought, oh, gosh, I hope he heard me. <laughs> and so I call my mom because I don't have a car at work. I call my mom. And I said, mom, you need to come get me. And then we need to go home and we need to pack my things. And we need to head to Children's because Abby has just relapsed. And so... I remember getting there and Abby, our, like our whole family is just, and this even happened the first time, but our whole family is just um, so well known. And we have a tribe of people that um, are always there for us, our friends, our church family, our family. Um, and it's huge. And um, I remember getting to the hospital with my mom and there was already clusters of people waiting to visit with us and they put Abby in this little bitty room and so my brother-in-law my sister-in-law had beat me there uh, of course my husband my best friend had beat me there with my oldest daughter um because my mom I don't know bless her heart I think she was having a hard time with it all and I'm asking her to drive me so <laughs> and Abby calls us and says can you stop at Chick-fil-a let's I'm really hungry and so I'm thinking oh my gosh how can you how can you think of food? Um, and so, I mean, we were already getting poured with people bringing in blankets and um, sheets and food. And I mean, it was, it was awesome and yet scary all at the same time all over again. And so um, I get there and of course the surgeon's there and um, he says, Miss Gamble, I need your um, signature that I can take her in and put another central line in and I said oh my gosh because here you know you have this child who's perfect her skin is flawless um and she already has like three holes in her body from dialysis and the other dialysis in her stomach that they finally took out and um and then her central line that they had taken out and um I was like can you just can you just go through one of the the previous holes and he said no there's scar tissue there we have to make a new hole and 
Um, so we need to do one for dialysis and we need to do one for um, the chemotherapy, her central line. And I said, well, we don't need the dialysis. And he said, I know that you don't think that you do, but what if you do? And then there you are. And he said, we have to put it in. Um, and I said, okay. So, so I signed it and then immediately I thought I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be so sick. I can't believe it. So I run to the bathroom because I'm thinking I'm really going to lose it. And so, um, I just start splashing myself with cold water and make myself come back and I walk outside and my husband's there and my mom and my best friend and they're all just looking at me like, well, okay, here we go again. <laughs> and um, the rounding doctor comes around and um, she said, Michelle, I'm so sorry. And of course, then I just fall to pieces and can I hug you? Yes, you can hug me. And um, what was so cool about the whole thing is she said, um, I don't know your daughter. She was a new um, fellow. I don't know your daughter, but when we were rounding earlier and we got the phone call, I, I'm the one that took the phone call and I um, told them, I went and stopped them before they rounded in the room. And um, I told them that I didn't know, but Abby Gamble is coming back because she's relapsed. And um, our our doctor, um, who was our oncologist, said, um, we need to stop. We, we can't round right now. We just need to go like kind of into executive um, session and we need to get Abby's file out and we need to go over Abby's stuff. And um, she said it was the coolest thing. And uh, to me, that is really cool too, because that means that my child is a top priority. And <clears throat> so, um, I went into Abby's room and of course she's sitting there with all her friends because she has about 15 there already. And she's in one of the tiniest rooms and um, she's like, mom, it's okay. It's okay. And so she eats the food that I'm bringing her and she's like, I'm, I'm going to do this this time. And I'm not going to get sick like I did last time. And it's going to be fine. And so um, we're like, okay. So we just make a pack her dad and I and her and we make a pack okay this is what you know we're going to do this this is going to be good this time you're not going to get sick like you did last time we're going to conquer this again and it's going to be fun thank you for listening to this episode of we saved you a seat Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions advocate for improved services build connections among families and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.